Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. I'm Philip Webster. I'm editor of the Times Redbox Bulletin and the Times Redbox website. This morning, my guests are Faye Schlesinger, head of news at the Times, Giles Wattell, chief leader writer at the Times, and Anne Ashworth, property and money editor at the Times. After Jeremy Corbyn was elected, he promised a kinder politics. Fast forward two months and his allies are vowing revenge on shadow cabinet ministers at odds with him over Syrian airstrikes. Even the most attractive of Corbyn's traits are turning sour. He must drop the Mr Nice Guy act or compromise over his ideals. He can't keep up the charade of both. There is an air of unreality about the Paris Climate Conference. The challenge is more urgent than ever, but India won't stop burning coal, America won't be legally bound by anything, and yet somehow the delegates this year are optimistic for a breakthrough. It won't happen, however, until someone does for energy what cell phones did for communications in Africa. Namely, enables the developing world to leapfrog the developed. There's a power grab going on in the housing market. Schemes like the Help to Buy ISA, which makes its debut today, and the stamp duty changes are designed to seize control from the middle-aged and give generation rent more of a chance. But these schemes will not be enough unless we build more homes and, for that, we need to support development as a nation. However, the spectre of the often awful homes put up in the 1960s means that many will find this very, very difficult. Right, thank you very much indeed. Faye Schlesinger, um, Jeremy Corbyn, he's uh, granted a free vote to his MPs. He didn't want to do that, but he's done it. But within seconds of him doing it, his allies have been out there saying that uh, on their head be it if things go wrong from now on and if the bombing of Syria ends up badly for this country. It doesn't sound like a nice new kind of politics. It's interesting. We cast our mind, minds back to September when Corbyn got elected. I think it's quite easy to, to... There were a lot of voices sort of doom at that time about the, the Labour Party being um, going to struggle to get into power ever again. But there was also a lot of excitement. Um, there were a whole group of people, many of them young but not all young, who were engaged with politics again because they really did feel like Corbyn was somebody who was going to give them something new and he promised something new. And I'm not saying that's dead in the water, it isn't. He is still doing something very, very different. But the what he wanted to do is keep himself kind of above and out of the maelstrom of politics, the dirty side, the, the, the anger and the fury. And he wanted to kind of turn it all inside out and make things transparent and make decision-making an open process that, he, that was carried out, not inside secret sort of cabinet or shadow cabinet rooms, but in the open. And, and that was this democratisation that he was planning of, of the Labour Party. 
I think what he's done, what we're seeing now play out is him coming up against reality, which is that while it, it may be desirable to play these things out in the open, the reason that it's done in a slick way by, by most governments and behind closed doors is because airing your dirty washing in public, having these showdowns, flip-flopping back and forth, and we have some extraordinary quotes in mm. the papers today about Corbyn saying in, in 2013, on anything like military action, you must have a free vote. Then in, you know, 17th of November this year, he said the total opposite. It looks messy, and, and appearance in politics is important and he may not think it is he may he may have the ideal of it's all about substance and caring for your for your um, uh, the members of your Labour Party but in fact the appearance is very important at the moment it looks messy and then beyond appearance it is it is anger and and it is this fury there is I mean we have to use that word sparingly but there is real anger among his mm. MPs and him trying to set it, up his MPs against the public is difficult I, I wonder and if there's a sort of naivety about Corbyn because he he, he does seem to want this different kind of politics but then he goes and appoints people who've got a bit of a reputation for being hard men out there and they've 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 already been organizing the people he's got in his private office are quite tough guys when it comes to organizing the hard left against the center the center left and the center right of the party what do you think do you do you think he's genuine Currently, Mr Corbyn is reminding me of one of those people who suddenly becomes famous, like um, somebody who suddenly wins X Factor and celebrity is thrust upon them. Now, they've always thought that they could have popularity and success on their own terms. That's how it seemed to them, at least. And he's finding that a public position, a position of extraordinary power and influence, isn't quite what he thought it would be. He thought that he would be able to reinvent the system. He thought that he would be able to be inconsistent and it seemed charming and uh, thoughtful. And none of what his perceptions of being the leader of the party would be are coming true. And he is in a panic. He's, he's, he's almost cornered. He doesn't know quite which way to turn. And he probably doesn't know who amongst his advisers to listen to. Mm. He needs a sage, older voice to say to him, look, calm down, say mm. less. Which is, uh, John McDonnell tried to be that sage voice over the weekend. But Giles, we've, in the Times, we've been telling him to show leadership. Mm. And uh, in, in a leader, I think we, we actually advised him to, um, to go for the whip vote, if only that would show that he was leading his party. Yeah, we were sort of reminding him that even though his mandate, uh, he has a mandate, it's, it's from the, the base, as it were, uh, that he nonetheless operates in a system of collective cabinet responsibility and that to be a credible opposition, unless he wants to launch a full-blown Bolshevik revolution and change the system, he needs, especially on you know vital matters of national security, to present a, a collective view. Um, that's the, that was the purpose of the leader that we ran recently, uh, advising him to whip it and sack, and sack the rebels. Uh, he hasn't done that. And as a result, the headlines are that he has he's in full retreat, and that that is the result of this of this reality check. And it, in a way, I sympathise with him because what he's come up against is is the system that, that he has fought for so many years on the backbenches. But unfortunately, it's the system in which he now operates, and uh, he doesn't have much choice. Just one other point: you uh, you mentioned that he's got some hard men close to him, but he's got some soft men pretty close too and as I understand it that was part of his problem yesterday you had Hillary Benn a moderate uh, saying 
you whip this and I will then talk from the back benches, which was in a, in a way a oh, soft yes, man. But it was the hard man who briefed before the decision had yeah. even been taken uh, what Corbett was hoping to uh, to impose on the shadow cabinet, yeah. But then Corbyn, like the dinosaur in Toy Story, right, who doesn't like confrontation, uh, foresaw having to sack Ben and thought, I can't handle that. That's right, yeah. that's right. But Faye, he, he, he hasn't done himself any good with his, with his base, has he? I mean, the, the, the fact is that Corbyn could have stopped Britain bombing ISIS in Syria. He, if, if he had decided, OK, I'll take uh, Hillary Benn's resignation, I'll take Andy Burnham's resignation, I'll take the lot, I'll put somebody else in those jobs, but one way or another, I'm going to have this whip, and that way we will stop This would raid. have been the first moment that we'd seen his power wielded, really. Um, it would have. I, I think it is quite possible that had he whipped and had he managed to maintain some level of control over his party by whipping against um, action in, in Syria that... Um, Cameron would never even put it to the vote because he knows the, mm. the risk that yeah. well, he knows what happened last time and how we lost face in you know in America and across the world. He pulled out of that in sort of the worst possible way by making so clear publicly that he wanted to go for it and then having to back off at literally the last minute. I mean, yesterday there was a shadow cabinet meeting that was pencilled for 10.30 in the morning. It was then put back to 1pm, 1, 1 so yesterday was Monday, and then put back to 2pm, which just gives you a sense of the kind of the level of panic and of, of chaos. And look, it is going to war is a big decision and it is an extraordinary time. We have to allow for that. And this is a new party that's, that's dealing with, with power for the first time. But he did back out Back, back up, uh, back out from it, and I don't think I think I agree that with his support base, he'll have lost their support. I mean, he put out a poll yesterday that claimed that 75% of Labour members are against airstrikes in Syria. When you when you drill down to the figures, they just yeah. selected a, a totally um, a non-stratified sample on a mu based on a much bigger sample of an email that was sent over the weekend, and we've got to question that as well. These things have to be done properly, and he would be the sort of first person to argue it that, and yet he's not carrying it out. You know, even with his own poll of his party is not carrying that out. So I agree, I think he's lost face in front of his own MPs and in front of the party base, and, and that doesn't play well either way. The um, Shadow Cabinet meeting yesterday was held in a room that was visible to um, reporters um, looking in from a certain angle, and they, quite a lot of people saw Tom Watson, the deputy leader, with his head in his hands. That seems to have summed up the sort of state the Labour Party are in at the moment. Now, you say, Philip, that there are hard men who are advising him, it seems to me that the advice he's getting on every kind of level is very, very poor because appearance is a great deal in politics. You have to look the part, talk the part, otherwise people don't have confidence in you. That seems to be a fairly simple piece of advice that nobody is passing on to this man. Yeah. Final word, Giles, before we move on? I have a friend who's an Italian reporter and an old-fashioned Gramsciite socialist who is absolutely fascinated by Corbyn and enamoured of him, and he tells me very, very confidently, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> oh, well, we can look forward to that, can't we? I'm sure Faye, as head of news at the Times, is looking forward to this year, anyway. So let's um, move on to this uh, amazing conference in Paris where I gather 147 world leaders spoke yesterday, so... It, um, that must have been one of the least exciting events for any reporter covering that. Giles, is, the, is, this, is there an element of optimism or is there also an element of all of these leaders turning up yesterday because of the situation Paris is in, out of sympathy to the French, that they, they, they felt they needed to be there yesterday? Would there have been... It did seem an amazing turnout for 
a climate change conference, mm. given given what's happened at, at uh, previous events? I think most of them were going to come anyway, but there's certainly uh, a sense of solidarity among world leaders and an anxiety, I imagine, to show ISIS that just because they go on the rampage in Paris, it doesn't stop Paris being a world city, mm. you know, capable of hosting a a massive international conference. But but expectations of this have for a long time been higher than for any climate conference since Copenhagen in uh, 2009 because that was such a disaster mm. that everyone thought, well, at least it can't be any worse than that. But Mr Modi didn't take long to dampen no, it. No, no. I mean, I am a closet greener than Caroline Lucas green and I wish we could just not very closet anymore all right. <laughs> just come out <laughs> I wish we could suck all the carbon out of the atmosphere and it's mainly because I'm a passionate skier and I think it might make the, the, um, the, the snow uh, fall better but look, uh, a, a few facts the reason that we are, I think, headed for terrible disappointment over the next 10 days um, it's 18 years since uh, Kyoto mm. and the first global effort to reach a climate deal since then, wind power in installation has expanded exponentially but it still accounts for less than one percent of world energy output coal the dirtiest most carbon intensive form of energy coal use has also gone up not exponentially but steadily so that it now uh, produces more than 40 percent of the world's electricity and about 30 percent of global energy a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. More generally, and it's going to go on up because, as we've reported today, Tuesday, second day of the, of, of the conference, India has absolutely no intention of stopping using coal. It's going to go on burning more. Its use of coal has gone from 160 million tonnes per year in 1980 to 800 million now. Mm. It's going to go on up uh, by 5% a year. Um, Modi, as you say, has arrived saying, I'm not going to be bound by any undertaking. I'm not even really keen on the idea of... Uh, agreeing to an inspection regime that might be uh, uniform. And as we know, there is no goal for a, an overall carbon cap or let alone a carbon trading scheme. Uh, what, what do we do 
there are lots of reasons for the first world to decarbonize. Uh, not least, it would clean up the air in our cities and make our children healthier and show uh, Delhi and Beijing that they too can eventually clean up. But nothing is going to slow, let alone reverse, the build-up of carbon until you come up with a form of uh, an energy source that is both cleaner and cheaper mm. than coal. It has to be done. There are, there, are, there are ways of doing that. You, you also have to come up with some very cool new ways of storing energy. But, but very briefly, the most promising technological avenues are a next-generation solar. Forget wind, but solar's good, especially massive solar furnaces in deserts. There are a lot of deserts. There are going to be more and more of them because of global warming. Uh, as I say, new generation of batteries and hydrogen storage so that what you get from renewable you can use overnight, and new nuclear. Now, this sounds wacky, but it's, it's got to be done. And I, I don't just mean new generation nuclear fission, but fusion, which is something that Japan and the US are big on, and we're pretty slow. We should be doing a lot more on. And then on the geoengineering front, I'm very, very taken by the idea of um, artificial photosynthesis. So you have billions of artificial trees. We've got the right man for the job here this morning. I mean, he, we, we have got a real enthusiast. Are, are you... Are you cynical or uh, optimistic? Um, what I'm thinking now is we need a silicone valley for energy. We need, this, we need Giles in charge of it all. Maybe we need Giles in charge. But if you think about it, there was a hugely clever people in Palo Alto thinking about ways to make a cleverer Snapchat, to make a cleverer Instagram. And all the focus of all these bright people has been on social yeah. media. But when the day comes when we want to plug in that that phone and we can't charge it up are we thinking about this and maybe we just need a fundamental shift that bright minds go into energy rather than in different ways to send somebody a picture of a cat faster it's true you do need to somehow make mm. energy cool we need to change the narrative when when i think back sort of 10 15 years when it became quite suddenly fashionable within british politics to talk about green issues in a way that it, it previously been the um the preserve of the Green Party and suddenly people like um, members of my family who always voted Green said, oh, these other parties are now kind of jumping on board and, and we had the, the Conservative um, emblem went green for, for a while. Now we've totally shifted back and the same argument that India used yesterday, which is that don't set green credentials against our economic growth. We are we're not saying it expressly like that, but we are basically doing the same thing. This government has mm. dropped its green subsidies Absolutely. one after another, and yeah. it's managed to do it with very little protest because people don't see it that you're, the average young person or middle-aged person or older person in Britain doesn't have any kind of investment in green energy. They don't care, really, deep down. Most of them don't. And those who do are seen, are seen as in a different world. They're seen as kind of uh, as almost as goody-two-shoes, and that we can't have that issue. We need, we need something that everybody wants this, and there's kind of pressure on, on politicians to go for it. And therefore, I think we do need to make it a bit sexier and a bit cooler. Yeah, because the, the argument we hear all the time from the, not, not the deniers, but the sceptics, is that anything we do is going to make absolutely no difference unless China, the US and India do something. And there's, uh, although Obama and Xi were making the right noises yesterday, mm. there's absolutely no sign, is there, that uh, things are going to be better on that front? Although I suppose it depends on the agreement they do reach, if they do reach one in two weeks' time. Yeah, I mean, uh, the States remains by far the world's biggest, uh, sorry, biggest per capita polluter. So if there were a revolution there and they agreed to be bound 
by uh, a carbon cap of some sort, it would actually make a difference to the number of gigatons of carbon released into the atmosphere. But no, you're right. And, and unless and until you have the developing world, chiefly India and, and China, bound into uh, a binding deal, that the, the, rate, the volume of carbon in the atmosphere is going to go on up, which is why, unfortunately, we have to invent our way out of this. The, the parallel with Silicon Valley is, is interesting. Unfortunately, energy is so expensive to develop new sources that there is a role for government, and government isn't cool. The great thing about Silicon Valley is it's all done without government, but just across San Francisco Bay, there's this amazing place called the National Ignition Facility, which is part of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, set up to test their H-bombs. But it has an extra role as the world's leading research, uh, research facility for a particular type of nuclear uh, fusion, uh, which is non-polluting and just goes on and on if you can make it work. But um, it is sort of doomsday stuff. It's unbelievably expensive. No one else can come close to doing this research. You have to prime that particular pump with billions mm. of billions of taxpayers' money. Okay, let's move on to the third item. And um, George Osborne made housing one of the big themes of his uh, autumn statement. Uh, last week and it came up with this plan to um, clamp down on uh, buy-to-let people and second-home buyers. Is that going to help anybody? He was absolutely right to make housing the centrepiece of the autumn statement. Whether it's going to work is another issue. There are a whole raft of schemes that are supposed to help generation rent climb onto the housing ladder. However, they will take time to come to fruition. They help to buy, I see, you've got to be saving for several years before you get the government top up, for example. But what really needs to happen is that we need to build more homes. And the signal thing that unites most British is they hate new development mm. because they see those awful low quality homes that we put up in the 1960s and think, that's what's going to happen at the end of their road, in their town, or whatever. And indeed, they are appallingly low quality, these places. I went round with a big house-building boss round an old office building that he'd had to take down, and he said this was only put up in the 1960s. It was unsafe. Mm. He said even if I hadn't been able to put something new in its place, it would have had to come down. That's how poor the construction yeah. techniques were. And it, what it produced was a baleful domestic architecture that has sullied our towns and cities and which makes people think, no, we cannot have any new homes. Now, we have some of the brightest, best architects in the world here, all these world-renowned people. Why aren't they working to make decent homes, gorgeous contextual homes that would make us support more house building? Because how do you make gorgeous homes that are also cheap? Well... There are huge... We have progressed in construction techniques hugely since the 1960s. As Giles says, let's harness the technology we have and use it to make better homes rather than thinking that we don't need to have... We can just put up anything and people will buy it. And are you talking public as well as private? Well, that's another issue. Social housing is not something we talk about anymore. The private rented sector is now far larger than social housing. Mm. We've almost... The state has almost stepped away from the provision of housing. It's all about landlords. Now, whether you should incentivise them or not, we still need to think that the private rented sector is a very, very important part of just the provision of basic shelter in this country. Charles, you need thoughts? Yeah, as a beginner on this, um, can you explain to me, Anne, 
why it is, how it is that the stamp duty increases are supposed to help generation rent. Is it is it by lowering the incentive to middle classes to buy buy-to-let flats and thereby increasing the supply of those flats to generation rent buyers and lowering the price? In theory, um, currently in the chase for a low-priced property, the buy-to-let investor tends to win because he or she has got the cash that they can put up and they are more likely to be able to complete the deal. The lender won't say no. Mm -hmm. So... What, it's kind of to level the playing field a bit. If the buy-to-let investor thinks, hmm, that's going to cost me quite a lot more, I won't be able to raise the rent to recoup the tax, maybe I'll step back from this purchase. So it gives the first-time buyer, in theory, more of a chance of seizing that property. However, did the Chancellor mention more mortgage lending for the first-time buyer? No, he didn't. Mm. And it's still incredibly difficult to get finance unless you have got parents with deep pockets there never was somebody said to me the other day there was never a better age to being born to well-to-do parents who live in london yeah. it gives you such an incredibly unfair advantage in the world in the job market and in also in the housing market but we need to rethink our approach to uh, first home buying. It's it's no longer really practical to, to say, OK, I'm going to wait until I found a partner and then we're going to put our money together into one pot and then, you know, maybe get married and about yeah. that same time we buy um, um, a house. Because society's changed. People are getting married at a much lower rate. Um, they're waiting longer to get married. They're not necessarily settling down um, as quickly. They're, the jobs market's changing, so people are flipping jobs more, more regularly. Why don't we have a system whereby more people, and I, know, I think this happens on a, on a small level, more people, friends get together, or even people who don't know each other get together and both put mm. um, equity into um, into a house and buy together so that we don't have to wait until we need a mortgage of, of £50,000 or a, a down payment of £50,000. So lenders need to learn to become more flexible in mm. the way they lend. But anybody who's applied for a mortgage lately will realize, will know what the questions are that you're asked even if you're a couple. Can you imagine four friends trying to buy together and the level of inquisition they would receive about whether how long they intended to all live together, what what their various incomes were and lenders tend to like to lend to buy to let investors because it's a very it's a yes. good credit risk they can see a man say 67 great big pension pot probably quite a lot of income still coming in they know he will meet his repayments every month it's a lot cheaper in administrative terms to lend to him than it is to a first-time mm. buyer or a woman that's a Monty Python line. <laughs> now, is there any sign that, that the way Osborne's done this, making everything work from next April, has is, is that produced any kind of rush from the, the buy-to-let um, people trying to get in before the increases uh, well, we're come in? asking estate agents what they're seeing in demand but uh, there are very few houses currently for sale in Britain because we're staying put. There are 15% fewer houses for sale than were a year ago because people are very wary about the economic climate still. OK, that's it. Thank you very much to my guests, Faith Lessinger and Ashworth and Giles Wittell. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe via iTunes. And if you want to sign up to the Redbox Bulletin, it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up. Thank you again for listening. Please come back next week. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.